Welcome to the Inspiring Leadership podcast series. This is aimed for you aspiring leaders, whatever level you're at, whether you're beginning out in your careers as managers and leaders, whether you're in middle ranking roles, or whether you're CEOs and chairman of boards, there's always something we can all learn. And it's particularly the skills, stories, tips and techniques that you can pass on to those you lead and your teams. Hello, I'm Jonathan Bowman-Perks and welcome to my favorite time of the week. And this is part of the Inspiring Leadership in Crises and Unprecedented Times. And I'm sure you'll enjoy the speaker that we've got this week. We have Major General Paul Nansen, the GOC of Army Recruiting and Training. And before we do that, I'll hand over to Ben, who Ben Atkinson is our main man from LinkedIn, who's going to be our moderator. So Ben, great to have you on the show again for episode two. Great. Thanks, Jonathan. Really excited to be uh, speaking to Paul this week. Paul, we're very lucky to have you. And by way of an introduction to you as the past commandant of the Royal Military Academy Santos, you've just handed that over and you did that for a number of years very successfully. We were, you were in fact on the first uh, LinkedIn interview we did and one of the early podcasts as well on Apple and Spotify. And um, you're now also, you were dual-hatted, the GOC of the Army Recruiting and Training. And they've asked you rather than hand that over to carry on with that for another three months. But in your spare time, you've been training up as a leadership and executive coach. And you've just written a book called Stand Up Straight which I also enjoy listening to the audio version of that, which I, I've listened to twice and some great tips on that. Paul, welcome. Good to have you on board. Jonathan, thank you very much, Ben. Uh, thank you and a pleasure to be back. Yeah, well, it's, it's good having you here. We're talking about uh, leading, uh, inspiring leadership in crises and unprecedented times. We're not going to go too much into the details of anything like COVID-19 and what the army's doing about that. That's something that we need the army to talk about specifically. We're going to be talking about lessons generally from crises that people can take from that. Paul, what about how do you survive in, in unprecedented in crises and times like that? And how do you thrive? What would be your advice on both those areas? Um, I think first of all, in terms of surviving, uh, it's about preparing for the crisis. I think if you wait until the crisis, you won't do yourself or your people any favors. So I think you've got to think ahead of the crisis and prepare. And it's about how you prepare yourself, uh, how you prepare your, your people, but also how you prepare your organizations or your teams. So I think in order to survive, it's about preparation. Yeah. I think in terms of thriving as a leader, you've got to, I think, do two, two fundamental things when faced with the crisis. I think your people will expect two things. One is that you will um, decide, you will um, provide answers. And the second thing is that you will provide them with hope. Uh, I think if you can provide those two things, then you will thrive as a leader in crisis. Yeah, that's very good. And, and you've been in war, you've been in many different situations. Um, who, who if, if you were to pick out one inspiring leader, who, who's inspired you and how did they handle crises? What was the qualities they had, do you think? Um, I think the one person, and I talk about him in the book, the one person who really had inspired me uh, was at a time when we were, uh, my team and I was a company commander, so a team of 120 uh, men, as it was, in uh, in Basra during 2003 uh, war. Um, this 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 general G General Conway, who's a United States Marine Corps three-star 
uh, commander of the of the Marine Expeditionary Force we were working to at the time. Um, you know, he talked about giving hope. He arrived in our in our little battered patrol base in the middle of the city at a time we were feeling pretty down for a number of reasons. And literally, we'd never met him before, never come across him before. He arrived. He spent 15 minutes with us, and in those 15 minutes, he just inspired us by his presence, the way he related to us all, and the way he he did give us hope. And I, I'll never forget that moment. Mm, fantastic. And what about what about teams? Inspiring teams. Which which team would you pick that deals well in a crisis? Which time in your experience? Do you know what I, I, I've, I've I've been fortunate enough to serve with with many teams who've who've uh, who have inspired me. But it, it, interestingly enough, uh, and I, I read it again the other day. Um, I, I'd step outside the military and, and talk about a bit of sports because I think you know something like the All Blacks uh, rugby team consistently consistently inspirational over many many years. And if you read the very good book by James Kerr, Legacy, uh-huh. it get, gets the root of why they have managed to keep sustain that world-class ability and it's about generating spirit and ethos and and legacy that everybody who joins that team feels empowered by and i think it's an amazing story and something we can all learn from yeah and we were talking uh, also about your book which i very much enjoyed stand up straight um that's got lots of lovely stories but particularly you've been in situations where people have been scared they've been uncertain about the future they were ill-prepared, they don't know how to respond, don't know how to make decisions, the kind of things you've talked about as being important. What about, what about funny moments in these really high-pressured environments which break the tension when someone comes up with a, a silly story or an anecdote or makes some quick wit? What, 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 what sticks in your mind? Uh, gosh, yeah, that's a tough question. I mean, so, so, uh, I mean soldiers are uh, classically very good at um, you know finding humor in the darkest of places and, and sometimes you know that humor gets us through and I'm, I'm, I'm very lucky I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fusilier by background and blessed with soldiers from parts of the country that never want for a sense of humor even when we're having having dramas um, but actually funny enough, it wasn't that long ago I, I, probably the best reaction to uh, to lead to a, to a crisis situation was actually a young cadet at Sandhurst and as a commandant, I have to go around and, and try and put them under a bit of pressure when they're in command appointments. And, and in this particular case, it was nighttime and they were just about to go into an attack and they'd had a very comprehensive set of orders. And I picked this one young man out and I said to him, right, do you know what you're going to do? Tell, explain to me what's going to happen now. And he looked at me and he gave me a very good, very quick brief on what he was going to do next. And I said, yeah, but what, what are you going to do then? What happens, what happens afterwards? And of course, he looked at me and I could tell by his face he hadn't got a clue <laughs> what, what happened. He just looked at me and he said, well, why then, sir? We're just gonna, I'm just going to carry the day. <laughs> I'm just gonna carry. I thought, that's a good answer. Good answer. <laughs> I'm just going to carry the day. That's lovely. And what are, you, you've written this book and you've got a, a wealth of experience, but you're now going to move into a new field where you're going to become a leadership coach to different CEOs and uh, teams and managing directors like, like I do. You know, what is it from the, uh, the book, Stand Up Straight, that you, you can sort of take from all that experience in the military that you now bring into the business that you're going to be working in? Because you've already been working in business and with different universities and business schools and things. What, what are you going to take across? And tips and advice and things. I think many things are going to come across. And, and, and you know, the book is, is not about me. The book is about Sandhurst and, and what we do at Sandhurst and the, 
you know, the, the, the basics that we give our cadets, which stand them in great stead throughout their military careers, but also beyond when they go off and do other things. And I think it's those enduring lessons of leadership that I and many of, of my friends and, and comrades will have, will have taken away that, that, that stay with you. And you'll have the same um, from your time at Santos. It never leaves you. But one, you know, the, the big one, I think, is, is we talk about harnessing the power of the team. And, and I think for many people who are faced with a crisis or a difficult decision, I think my, my big tip is just you know, remember that you won't always have the, the right answers. You won't even, sometimes when you have an answer at all. And you've just got to reach out to your people and trust them and listen to them because more often than not, the answer will be out there in the team. You've just got to be the right sort of leader that can listen and, you know, uh, and, and be humble enough to, uh, to take their advice. Paul, that's fantastic. And we're, we're going to bring this first part to a close and move straight into part two. And I'll stop the recording in a moment. But before we go, you, you remind me of Nick Borwell, who um, was principal at the um, Civil Service College. And, and they talked about the incomplete leader with the complete team, which is just really what you've been talking about. You need your team. So we're now going to really go into a bit about your book and um, your life. So... Tell me about, tell me about uh, having this idea with others at Santos of, of writing that book, Stand Up Straight, which is about the Royal Military Academy Santos. But there must be some great stories that you can share with people, which will help them in this crisis and other crises they've got. Yeah, I think, I mean, we, we, wrote, we decided to write the book. I mean, uh, it was about, firstly, uh, sharing, sharing lessons that we all learn, as I've talked about in part one. But also, I think it was dispelling some of the myths about Santos. You know, we were... We were keen to make sure that people understood, uh, you know, it wasn't that people who go there are not necessarily born with a silver spoon in their mouth or necessarily go to, go to the right school, the right university. It's about, it's about your ability and in particular your leadership potential. And we, we look for, we, we find young men and women who have that amazing ability and then we develop leadership whilst they're at Santos and hopefully impart an enduring nature of leadership on them that they can take on through their careers so that was that was the reason we brought we, we put put the book together mm. um, in terms of the lessons that come out of it and, and lessons for you know leading in crisis i think you know we, we we prepare them to lead in crisis that's what we do you know we prepare them to be able to as we talk about you know when when the chips are down when there's the row of white faces looking to you the leader it doesn't matter how much time you've got how much experience you've got if you've got that rank on your chest if you're the platoon commander they're going to expect the answers from you and therefore you've got to be prepared for that. So most of what we do at Sanders is preparing them for that moment. Um, but, you know, lessons that we talk about is, you know, don't, don't be scared of failure. You know, failure is something that's a, that's a huge positive as long as you learn from it, as long as you pick yourself up, dust yourself down and, and get back in the fight, you'll be a better leader for it. Mm. We talk about, um, you know, Hollis uh, and the Power of Your Team we've talked about. We talk about, you know, when you're faced with a really important decision, just take a moment to pause, to think before you necessarily act. We talk about taking a knee in, uh, in military parlance, just that moment of pause to think, you know, how, how quickly do I have to make a decision in first, in first and foremost? And if I don't have to make it right now, I can, I can afford to think and perhaps think about how much information I require, et cetera. So, you know, things like that. Yeah. And just on the taking a knee for those who weren't in the military, what, what actually, when someone takes a knee, what physically are they doing? Well, I suppose it comes from the fact that if you're if you're if you're a leader in a, in a, in a, in a, in a contact situation, so someone's shooting at you in, in the worst case scenario, you know your team will react, uh, and you as the leader can, you know, physically take a knee, 
get into cover, get behind something, uh, let your team deal with the immediate situation while you think about what decisions you have to make. That's, that's the analogy. Yeah, no, that's very good. And, and you've had one hell of a life, all the different things you've done. Um, what, what sort of crises in, in your um, experience as an army officer outside Santos have you had to face? Because you, you were in the Iraq war 2003. You know, what, what sticks in your mind there that um, lessons about dealing with a crisis where it went well or it went badly, but you learned something from it? Yeah, I think, um, gosh, I've had quite a few lessons. I think where it's gone badly, um, I, I talk about it in the book where uh, I didn't trust my people, mm-hmm. if I'm honest with you. I, I assumed they'd done something when they hadn't and uh, in a crisis. So that in that moment of crisis, I thought about myself when I should have actually thought about my team. And I, I've, uh, I regretted that as soon as it happened. Um, other times when it's, when it's gone well, uh, you know, where I was faced with a decision where, you know, to, to fire or not to fire in, in, a, in a particular situation where I chose to, in this case, uh, actually take a knee and think through the consequences of what I was about to do. And the fact that I paused, that I thought through, meant that I didn't fire. And actually that meant that I didn't fire at my own people. Mm. Uh, so, um, two, two quick instances of right and wrong. Yeah, wow. And, um... This, this sort of learning from experiences in your life, who shaped you as a young man as you were, as you were growing up? And uh, was it mother and father? Was it, you know, uncles and aunts, grandparents, teachers? You know, can you think back to just your formative years before you even went to Santos? What, what shaped you? Who shaped you? I think, I, think everybody's, I think everybody's shaped by a variety of people, aren't they, as they, as they grow up. I mean, you're obviously shaped by your family, your experiences from a very early age, your mum and dad, sister in my case, um, uh, shaped in the early, early days. Then it's school, of course, and I was very lucky. Uh, went to a great school where sport was a big thing, um, and I had some great inspirational teachers, and I, I, and I take my hat off to teachers as a profession. I think they do fantastic, fantastic stuff. And... Um, you know, but I, was, I think sports as well. I, I played hockey when I was little. Um, I loved I loved playing hockey. I loved that whole team team sports stuff, and uh, and uh, so that shaped me. Um, and then later on, I joined the cadets at school. Uh, so, you know, that that's where the sort of military flavour came in. And and then I joined the uh, the territorial army, uh, okay. sixth form, before I joined the regulars. And I remember there was one particular. Uh, leader in the territorial army who was was inspirational. I, don't, I think if it hadn't been for him, I uh, I probably wouldn't have got through uh, RCB through selection and into uh, into Santos. So I owe him a great deal. Who, who was that? Chuckle Torrance, who was my company commander mm. uh, when I joined the reserves or TA as it was then in Liverpool many many years ago. He was my company commander when I was an officer cadet. And what what was it about him that um, was so significant in just providing a role model for you and helping you um i think he was just the fact that he first he helped me through the, the rather complicated process of joining the army which you remember well and i think mm-hmm. he was you know he was someone who had patience with me and, and and helped me mentored me nurtured me through that uh, but he also um you know he was exactly that he was the role model he was everything uh, i thought an army officer should be and what I aspired to be, and he took time to to develop us. We were only we were only very young. It wasn't just me. There was about three or four of us who sort of entrusted with developing the potential officers, and he did that very well. Yeah, that's fantastic. 
So let's go into um, have a, a, a sort of think about some of the key messages that you want to get across. And Ben, whenever you've got any questions that come in, if uh, people are starting to listen into the live session, do uh, just just give me a thumbs up and uh, I'll, I'll butt in with what we're doing. Um, but um, wh what about mission command, Paul? It's a, it's a big thing for the military. How would that be useful in a crisis uh, right now? Um, for, for people in business, for example, to use that kind of philosophy? Well, I think, uh, you know, in terms of crises, wicked problems, whatever you want to call them, I, I think uh, the way, one of the ways to face it is to go back to the acceptance that you're not going to have all the answers. And also you've got to be able to react and move quicker than the crises is unfolding. Uh, and particularly apt at the moment where you know, this unseen this unseen enemy that we're fighting is moving very quickly and therefore to be able to get a, a step in front of it you've got to be able to react, react very quickly and that means seizing opportunities where where they come and, and to be able to do that to exploit that you need to be able to empower people to act very quickly without having to reach back for permission all the time they've got to they've got to feel empowered they've got to feel that they understand the commander's intent, the commander's purpose, what he wants to get or she wants to get out of this and be able to act with disciplined initiative, as we call it, to be able to um, understand what needs to be done and to just go for it. Mm. Uh, the essence of, of mission command, you know, mission, uh, mission command for us is about providing that intent, telling people what to do, not how to do it, and then allowing them the space to maneuver and the space to, um, to act without having to reach back for, for, for permission. Yeah, uh, and it's also very clear on the, the why, before you go to the what and the how. Um, why are we doing it? The purpose behind it, the commander's intent, as you say. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think in business, you and I see a lot of people who, um, it, as the panic comes over them, their organization's trying to keep the lights on and the wheels on the vehicles, as it were. And time and again, I've found leaders are going, well, look, we're not going to do any leadership development or any coaching right now. That's, we're going to cut that because um, we just got to keep going. And I think that's what I call the finite game, just for the short term. But the infinite game is you really shouldn't be cutting leadership in the moment of crisis or even leadership coaching for people who are not used to the crises they've got. But I'm finding this time and again in our profession of coaching that uh, many businesses are going, no, we're not going to do any development. We're cutting that bit of the budget. We're laying some people off, no leadership, no coaching. What's, what's your view on, on the impact of that? Yeah, I think two things. First, it goes back to my point in part one about preparing, preparing your people in your organization for crises. And it's, you know, you've got to do that, you've got to do that consistently. Uh, and I think also, you know, when we come out of this current crisis, as we know in the military, you're not far from the next crisis. You know, the ebb and flow of, of, of crises are such that you can't, you, can't, you can't stop doing development. You've got to keep it going and, and take your people to the next level. Keep, keep that drumbeat of development, be it leadership development or personal development or resilience training or whatever it may be. Keep that drumbeat going if you really want to be, be an organization that can, can deal with crises. And also, I think um, you know, the point about resilience is is important as well you know having resilience in an organization hugely important and as as, as military organization we always talk about having a reserve having something in the tank that when you need it you know you can you can bring that reserve forward uh, and and either replace tired people or, or or just just maintain momentum 
And I think, I'm not an expert, but I think organisations cut themselves to the absolute quick in the interest of, of perhaps saving money and then probably re regret that when they get to a crisis organisation, they need that depth to, uh, to achieve that, uh, that, that ability to achieve momentum. That's a very good point. I'm seeing time and again, people are cut themselves so lean that even a month of uh, not having income coming or what, it, it just, the business is over, it closes. And um, also the, the habit of having a second in command or someone to deputize for someone and stand up and take on a role or being able to have some in the office and some off and then swapping over. They, they, they have just cut it so lean in order to be as efficient and make as much money for shareholders that they, they, they are not robust enough and able to, to keep going. It's almost like they create the perfect organization and therefore it's faulty because there's nothing, there's no slack, there's no sustainability built in. What, what, what would you say about that? And then take us on to, to teams and empowerment as well, I think is an interesting point after that, but what's your thoughts? Yeah, no, it's easy. It's easy because I, in the military, we don't have to necessarily worry about about the financial impacts of having you know, large amounts of people. People, um, but I think it is important. And I think what you talked about there about um, you know having deputies, uh, people who can step up and and either relieve a tired commander or take over when when something goes wrong. And one thing we are good at, we're not perfect by a long way, but one thing we are good at is we call it exercising the second eleven. You know, in, a, in, an, in an exercise uh, preparing for operations, you know, there will be a time in the exercise where the commanders are taken out of the, of the equation. And then you really do test the second team who to make sure that they have been empowered, they understand what they've got to do, that they understand commander's intent, and they can step up and, and, and maintain that momentum and keep it going. Now, again, in, in civilian world, slightly different, but I suspect the same sort of issues apply, and the same sort of thing. You know, leaders are just as as fallible in, in the civilian world as they are in the military world, and I think you know sometimes people need to have a rest or take some command time, whatever you want to call it, and let their oppos take over. Well, haven't we seen that so clearly with uh, poor old Boris Johnson being taken out yep. by the virus, and others having to step up from their roles and to to cover for him. But I think we've seen there also the, the man behind the scenes, Sir Mark Sedwell, who I have met and know and admire a lot as a really inspiring leader. In fact, I wanted to, he wanted you to come onto this series, but he's got rather busy. Um, he really is such a fine leader who keeps steady under, uh, under such pressured situation and has had a history of dealing with crises and problems in some very fine roles that he's done, which we can't even talk about. But we're very lucky to have him because he's given uh, strength and direction and purpose to actually a team that's really come together well. I don't know what your own view is. I don't know, I don't know him particularly well. I know of him and he's got a fantastic reputation. And I think having someone like that goes back to my, um, my bit about hope. You know, if you've got someone who is calm, unflappable, who just gets on with things in the background, not necessarily in the background, but just gets on with things as someone you can rely on, uh, that's exactly the sort of person you want leading the crisis. Yeah, we're, we're very fortunate with that. Ben, have we got any questions yet? I think we have. So Ben, what, what have you got coming through? Just looking at um, uh, how you as a leader build strong team culture and, and how that has been sort of adapted around the sort of current working challenges, working uh, remotely and working um, uh, from, from home. Uh, 
building building teams i think building high performance teams uh takes time i think it's it's something you've got to invest in from from the get-go i think it's about creating uh spirit uh creating an ethos i think that's done through uh vision values standards discipline uh i think it's about uh generating trust between people and that's done through uh sharing experience together so uh creating a, a will to win you know a, a competitive edge i think it's also important you know creating that sort of you know uh, can do attitude in a team really important uh in terms of how do you do it remotely uh, um that's a, that's a really good question something that we, i think we're all still grappling with because uh you know we are being forced to to do stuff virtually we've been talked we've been we've been forced to do stuff like we're doing to, today um which is which is fine and we are learning how to be virtual leaders and it's still important to communicate as much as we possibly can to have the face to face albeit across the screen so you can look into people's eyes and, and communicate uh, check they're okay uh, check they're they're um, they're, they're um, physically okay uh, but also I think I don't think we should necessarily think that this should be the the way we do in the future I think you know, I hear a lot of talk about that. I think there still needs to be that personal touch. I think there still needs to be the presence of a leader that can absolutely sometimes just put a pat on the back or an arm around mm -hmm. somebody to provide that reassurance, that uh, that ability to inspire. So mm -hmm. I think I think it's something that's evolving. Uh, we'll learn how to do it now, but I don't think we want to necessarily forget the lessons of only a few months ago. Yeah, good one. Definitely. Um, and uh, just just sort of moving on to uh, your your sort of journey, really. So someone's asking around um, with your with becoming a leader, beginning journey. What have been some of the most formative experiences, um, and uh, what did they teach you? I, 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 I suppose the most formative experience have been in on operations. Uh, because that's what we we train for, and that I presume ultimately is is our our purpose. Our purpose is to is to fight, and so uh, those are probably my most formative. What have they taught me? I think they've taught me, um, you know, the the power of of uh, of belief. I think that you know belief in your in yourself, in your own ability, you have the confidence that your training and your education gives you wisdom that you can apply at the right time. I think it's belief in your team and those around you uh, that you're, you know, together you are stronger. There's something bigger than just you and that's the team. And having confidence in your, your mates either side of you, hugely important. And that goes back to the question you asked me about generating that high performance team. Mm. And then finally, it's confidence, you know, belief in, in those that leaders and, and having that, uh, confidence in those above us that um you know they, they're going to provide us with the answers and the hope final final one um we've got one from uh, lewis on here but i'm not sure whether you can answer it it's uh it's looking at given um the current nhs shortages um what leadership examples would you believe could add continuously planning in the future i'm not sure whether you can answer answer a question around around that and the, the current situation I mean, I, 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 yeah, I, I just think it goes back to the point we've been talking about in terms of preparing um, yeah. you know, prepare people for a crisis before the crisis hits. 
And a lot of that is about uh, you know, thinking through to the finish, contingency planning, having, we talk about having comp plans on the shelf ready to go so that your people have uh, understood what they might be and prepared themselves mentally, me mentally and also if you can physically. I talk about in the book, the power of rehearsals, the power of, of, um, of wargaming, of thinking through what might ha happen. You know, we talk about most, most likely scenario, but also the most dangerous scenario. And, and you, you plan on the most likely, but you continuously plan against the most dangerous. You know, what, what if? And I think that's an ability to think about what might happen, what if, and run that through with your team before, before the crisis will pay dividends when the crisis hits. I know it's luxury. Yeah, do you think that's a, a, something that people should be doing as businesses right now, looking at the next few months, thinking, okay, what's the best, what's the worst that can happen, and let's let's put some contingency plans on that shelf so we can react fast. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of people screaming at the screen now, saying we're already in that situation, we're already in the in the worst worst case scenario. Um, so yeah. the time time for that has probably passed. But I think as a lesson, and we all learn, we all learn from this, and. One of the important things we've got to do when we come out the end of this, whenever that may be, is to is to think about the lessons. You know, what have we learned from from this? What what can we? What have the effects been on our organisations and ourselves? And therefore, how can we prepare ourselves better for the next time it hits? Because mm. it won't be the same, but there'll be something else. And actually, building on that, Paul, um, so many organisations have chief risk officers, and. I think many people sort of thought it financial risk and uh, they have risk registers and things. And sometimes people just pay lip service to it. And there's, there's a list of thousands of things in some spreadsheet somewhere. But I, I think this crisis will make people think more carefully about the chief risk officer and what are they doing to war game? What, what ifs and most likely most dangerous scenarios um what planning do they do i mean you know we had lots of warning you know in many ways that the 2015 ted talk um by um the, the microsoft ceo is, is warning us that that you know we need a, a, an international force to deal with pandemics we didn't do anything about it we didn't want to put any money in it so often people go oh there's a risk of this is it's costly or to have generators in case the power goes down or water reserves in case but people don't want to spend on it because they've got the short term, the, uh, the finite game rather than the long term thinking about the infinite game. And I think that's quite important that people prepare for a longer game and what if scenarios. And I, I see many organizations have not been doing that and don't give credence to the chief risk officer and what's needed. Yeah, yeah really, good, really good point. I think lessons Lessons identified are only lessons learned when they're actually learned, aren't they? Mm, mm. What, what about, um, before Ben waves at us, if he's got some more questions, what about high-performing teams? You know, you, you've been very good, particularly at Santos, creates this high-performing team culture. What, what, what were some of the lessons that you'd pass on which would be relevant to people in business right now as they virtually, as well as once they're out of this, uh, in reality, try and rebuild a high-performance team? Um, I mean, I've talked about visions, values, but I think one of the things I haven't, we haven't talked about, but you've alluded to it, is you know, is, is this having having this learning culture in a team, you know, having an organisation that is willing to to learn, learn from mistakes, learn from failures, uh, as well as successes, that that is able to be agile enough to um, to adapt quickly 
uh, under under difficult situations. Um, that that's probably one that I think people will hopefully pick up after this. Yeah, that's a good one. Ben, anything more from questions before we go on to anything else? Yeah, I'm, I'm interested um, in uh, under pressure. What do you, what do you see as the most common mistakes that uh, leaders can make? Under pressure, most common mistakes. Paul, what do you reckon? Uh, under pressure, what are, you, what are you seeing as the most common mistakes? Um, I think uh, probably waiting for too much information. Yeah. I think people sometimes uh, strive for certainty. Mm. And I think one of the key things is understanding that sometimes you might have to make a decision on, uh, you know, 80, 70 percent of the information and the other the other 20 percent is going to be risk and you need to understand how to manage that risk but i think sometimes people uh, either act too quickly don't take a knee uh, and, and and make a decision too quickly or they wait for, for too long and i think that's the the art of leading in a crisis is knowing when that sweet spot is that you can you, you need to make the decision based on your own intuition or judgment um you know that's that's something that i think people need to learn yeah it's a it's a very good point and i see it in business as well as i did when i was with you in the military that people they want certainty and they hate uncertainty and so they they want to wait and get more and more information and more and more certainty but then the situation's changed and in military terms they used to talk about imagine an enemy over the hill and you send the scout up there and he has a look and he comes down and tells you where they are but by, by the time you make a move on where you think they are, they've moved, changed direction, they move the other way. So you have to go with sort of 80, 50% of the information that make a decision. You had a lovely story about uh, when you were a cadet at Sandhurst uh, and your colour sergeant behind you. You want to share that story? I like that one. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's probably one that quite a lot of uh, former cadets will know and understand very well. But of course, as you're learning, uh, and in this situation, we were learning and it was a, a stress situation. I was in a command appointment and something happened and I just froze. I, I just couldn't make a decision. I, I, don't, I don't even think it was a, a lack of understanding or a lack of information. It was just pure panic. Uh, and the colour sergeant standing behind me just looked at me and said, you know what, sir? right or wrong just make a decision just do something don't just don't just sit there so uh yeah something that's that's stuck with me for, for yeah. the that's that's very good lovely story paul thank you for for being on board and ben thanks as always for being our superb moderator thank you So now you've heard from one of the inspiring leaders that I've interviewed, what are you going to do next? If you want to get some more free material, go to my website, jonathanperks.com or follow me on LinkedIn, Jonathan Bowman Perks. And there you can get access to my books, uh, Inspiring Leadership and Top Tips for Inspiring Leaders. But if you want to actually do something about being a leader and constantly improving your game, raising your performance, Get in touch with me about coaching you or one of your team that you want to raise the game for them. It's got to be people who want to be good to great, not people who you're trying to fire. And if you're looking for a motivational speaker, get in touch. Or if you want me to work with your team coach, I would be delighted to help you.